I'm Alan Hallowell, and this is Season 4, Episode 3 of Indotecto. Now, most of us, when we think of e-commerce, envision consumer-oriented transactions, whereby a retailer sells to an individual or household. Whether we're ordering our various necessities from Shopee, Alibaba, or Amazon, or buying something else online. In reality, there are vastly greater volumes of goods that are traded online, not between business to consumer or B2C, but between companies or on a B2B basis. The global B2B e-commerce market was valued at 17.9 trillion US dollars in 2021. That's over five times that of the B2C market. Now we at Indotecto have paid scant attention, frankly, to Indonesia's burgeoning B2B e-commerce opportunities. Today, we're very pleased to have join us Win Nathaniel, co-founder of Proglex, a B2B marketplace for raw materials such as steel and electrical supplies. Great to have you join us today, Win. Hey, Alan. Thank you so much for having me too. You're very welcome. Now, Win, we describe Proglex as, quote-unquote, Indonesia's first B2B e-commerce that focuses on simplifying the raw material procurement process. Again, this is a very far cry from what I described in my opening remarks, what people think of as mainstream e-commerce, where platforms connect sellers to individual consumers. Tell us about this area of B2B e-commerce. So in B2B, on an infrastructure basis, it's the same with the B2C. But in B2B, it's more complex, more in document and in transactional basis, negotiations and everything. Right now, what we're doing is for the infrastructure level, order tracking, order taking, the stock inventory, it's essentially a must-have in the e-commerce. So we've done that. But the problem that we face right now is in B2B, there is negotiations that cannot be digitalized as soon as possible. So right now we still do a hybrid. So using our platform for order taking and order tracking and see the stock availability, but we use lots of business for the customer services and transactional. So because we see that our customer segment is mostly 50 to 60 years old. It's like our generation. Very interesting. So it sounds as though there's a lot of informal interactions that we're not at all used to in B2C e-commerce. B2C e-commerce is the equivalent of taking your grocery shopping online, grocery shopping being very straightforward. You don't negotiate prices on the shop shelves. You transact in a very clean fashion. B2B can have a lot of back and forth haggling and other things that probably cannot be fully brought online. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Now, I noticed that I'm catching you, I think, in Berkeley, California today. And I believe that's toward the end of your participation in the Y Combinator program. How does an Indonesian-based startup participate in a program these days? I guess it's no longer virtual. It's face-to-face, is it? Right now, YC is doing hybrid. So there is some activities is offline and it's very good. And some activities is online. So it's very flexible. Understood. Now, what have been the greatest highlights of your participation in YC that you would share with aspiring Indonesian entrepreneurs interested in the program? The highlight so far, the retreat program. In your first day, you go to retreat to Sonoma 
is very great and meet a lot of founders, great founders based on AI and everything, mostly engineers. And that's the greatest highlight because we can meet a lot of founders around the world. We can meet the YC partners. They have great insights. And we spend together three days talking about your startup and get an insight. That's very good to highlight from YC. So do you truly feel you're entering a network that you would never be exposed to if you had really confined your activities to Indonesia and Southeast Asia? Do you really feel you'll wrap up the YC program with connections that you'll be able to reach out to at any time? I think not directly, but actually for myself, we do not have a fancy background from Ivy League. When we go to YC, we feel that we join an Ivy League for startup community. That's what is the best experience for when people ask when do not have fancy background or ex Tokopedia or ex Shopee building a startup and get accepted to YC. That's the main point. I can see that being a very powerful set of experiences and exposure. Now, are there any B2B marketplaces in your current YC batch or even in recent batches? And if so, what learnings have you guys shared amongst yourselves in the B2B marketplace space? Right now in our batch, as I know, there is no B2B marketplace. Mostly in this batch is more in AI. Especially in the last batch, there is one B2B that focuses on construction materials and from Indonesia too. But in this recent batch, mostly AI. Got you. Now, when you founded Problix with Wendy Wijaya and Indra Prawira, tell me about how you guys came together. Fun fact, Wendy is my brother. Of course, we met at our childhood, so there's nothing to share about that. But Indra, we met in 2022, mostly because Indra is helping a lot of startups in Indonesia to build a demo product as a software house engineer. So in 2022, I met him to do one project. And after that, we said that, hi Indra, why you not join us in Problix? Because of course, in YC, you need CTO too. Yeah, absolutely. You laugh at that, but oh my gosh, I think that the CTO position is the most difficult to fill across all of Southeast Asia startup, particularly the Singaporean startups that I talk to, so difficult to find someone with that relevant technical talent. So you guys are obviously very privileged to have found and to have brought on at the co-founder level, a CTO. Now, when looking at your own background, you worked at Sinadi, which is an Indonesian renewable energy startup that provides solar energy services to homeowners, businesses, and others. You also worked at solar energy company, Western Energy. What specific experiences and observations at these jobs contributed to your founding of Proglex? That two companies I built on my own. The key learning that I have in our previous background in renewable is most likely in Western energy. I become a consultant helping governments to build solar power plant projects in rural areas. That's why in 2016 until 2018, most of my time in Eastern Indonesia, live in with the communities and everything, doing our plant project and a supplying electrical component. That's why I've been in the electrical supplies industries most of my time back then. And in 2019, because I'm going to rural areas a lot, I can see an agriculture potential in Sumba, in Papua. That's why 
I make the renewable energy become a processing center to process the agriculture product and sell to manufacturing. That's what I gained with the skill of becoming a supplier to big manufacturers and doing logistics in Indonesia. And it's helped me in building products because most of products is commodities, steel, electrical supplies, and agriculture too is raw materials for the manufacturing. Sure. Wow. That's a very fascinating set of experiences that didn't jump out at me initially when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. Now let's continue our discussion of how Proglix works. An e-commerce platform seems to work best when it is connecting many to many, many sellers to many buyers. We focus largely on steel and electrical supplies. What is the concentration of sellers on one side and of buyers on the other in these two categories? And what different dynamics does that create from the traditional many-to-many marketplace platform? Yeah, in terms of raw materials, the concentration is not many-to-many because, for example, in Indonesia, in one specific steel industry, there is only five manufacturers that produce raw materials. But in terms of the buyer, it's around 1,200. So in this space, mostly buyers is more likely have a bigger volume, but in terms of the suppliers, the supplier is more limited in terms of number. And if I could ask you a question about that, if you have a pretty concentrated set of sellers that must have their own channels and their ways of doing things, is it more difficult to be a value add to them than it is the many buyers that I'm sure would welcome your marketplace. Yeah. So basically the problem in B2B is not about the suppliers and buyer, but mostly in buyer side, there is several tiers. If you are a big manufacturer that build finished good, if you are big manufacturers, you can access directly to the big suppliers. But if you are small manufacturers or mid manufacturers, you cannot hit the minimum order quantities. That's why you buy from brokers and traders. That's why, yes, the supplier is very limited, but most of the players that need the raw materials cannot access these companies. Yeah, that's why our value is when they buy from Problix, there is no MOQ. There's no minimum order quantities. And the price is 3 to 5% lower than brokers and traders because we can aggregate all of the demand and go to the big suppliers. That's what we do. That is kind of interesting. When you say 3 to 5%, as a consumer, that's rarely enough to get me to buy something. I'm looking usually for a 20 to 30% discount, but your customers probably have very thin profit margins. And so three to 5% savings is huge to them. And moreover, I assume the raw material costs are a very large part of their overall costs. Do I have that right? Yes, because your raw material costs in terms of your COGS, in the finished good, mostly contribute 65 to 70%. And when you say COGS, you mean cost of goods sold, yeah? Yep, that's right. So you can imagine, decrease 3 to 5% in that area is mean a lot. Gotcha. Now, I assume we're displacing brokers in this industry. What measurable benefits does this small business that you've been talking to us about enjoy by shifting away from this network of traders and working with Proglix? Yeah, 
the first variable is stock because when we deal with brokers, mostly brokers have tiering to small brokers, mid brokers, or large broker. But most brokers always stock the fast moving goods. But imagine every small manufacturer have their specifications. So if you do not get to this broker, you need to dealing with a lot of brokers to get the raw materials. But what we do, because we're dealing with the principle, we can use the inventory principle. So we have more product variant. And in terms of the stock, we are more ready because our technologies right now do the forecasting model too. So we can know every SKU, not 100% accurate, but right now it helps us to do a projections. Okay, for next month, what type of SKUs and what quantities that needs to be booked to the principal or the big suppliers to make sure that our customers can get the stock. Fantastic. So you're effectively planning on behalf of the little guy by using the big data that you're building from not just individual buyers, but tens, hundreds, eventually thousands of buyers. So I can definitely see that value add. So on the topic of inventory, you just referenced it. How much inventory of raw materials like steel and electrical supplies do we need to take on to our own balance sheet in order to benefit our customers? And is there anything we can do to reduce our inventory risk, having to pay cash to buy the product until we can sell it on? Do we have that issue? The interesting part, doing B2B, if you're dealing with the big suppliers directly, if you can constantly bring back orders and do the payment right, they will give you a facility. For example, we do not hold any inventories. So we can make a partnership we call booking orders. So that's the forecasting model, very important. Because in booking orders, you can lock a price and a set of quantities in this one or two specifications in earliest month. And it will use for us to, let's say to the big principal or big suppliers, hey, I want this type of quantities, type of specifications for this month. We do not hold the inventories. We just book the specification and the quantities. And after we get an order for our customer, the principal will deliver to our customer and we will pay that. So it's on demand. There is no inventory risk. That, from my perspective as a financial analyst, is a massive relief because I oftentimes see these very ambitious e-commerce business models only to find out that the business has to buy the product, sit on it. Sometimes it ages and loses value. And so that, all that cash is lost. Whereas if you don't need to take on inventory risk, you have probably a much more profitable business. What we call your working capital is much better. So that's a very interesting clarification you've made. Now, we've compared ourselves to a platform in India called Of Business. What are the big similarities and differences between ourselves and Of Business in India? In the current state right now, Of Business is more focused on supply chain financing. So it's become a financing company and it totally makes sense. All their big data and everything. But in terms of problems right now, we still more focus on becoming a one-stop shop for raw materials. So in terms of financing, yes, we do, but it's not in our focus right now. But most of the time that we use is developing the technologies and become the one-stop shop first to get the big data. Very interesting clarification and difference. 
I wanted to ask you on this topic, have any Chinese platforms been successful in this area? In Chinese platform, there is one reference. I forgot the name, but this Chinese e-commerce focus on metal and steel only doing export and import. Gotcha. So when, what is our quote unquote take rate? Take rate for those who are not familiar with it. It's really the revenues that we get divided by all the transactions or gross merchandise value that the platform hosts. And how do we arrive at that take rate that we must charge, I assume, the buyer? So our average take rate is around 15 to 16%. And why it's big? Because what we do in our e-commerce is not a commission fee or take rates, but we do mark a price. Yeah, because we're dealing with principal. Of course, the principal give us a discount. But in Indonesia, if you have a product, the price of principal will be the same to the end consumer. But the difference is by the discount. So that's how we can get markup price compared to the commission fee. Understood. And when, what are our business targets for Proglix, for instance, by the end of next year, by the end of 2024? 2024, our first target is, of course, our gross revenue. So what we aim in 2024, June, because we want to raise our service in June 2024, what we aim in June our target gross revenue is 2 to 2.5 million per month, monthly gross revenue. And in terms of net margins, what we aim is 5 to 6% before operation expense. And in EBITDA level, right now we stay in 0.3 to 0.6% to the gross revenue. But what we aim in June 2024, around 1 to 1.5 in EBITDA level. Okay. So when, what are the biggest challenges connecting a seller or buyer to the platform from a back-end perspective, from a systems perspective at Proglex? In terms of suppliers, there is not a big problem because in the supplier side, there is already an administration, already have a finance guy and everything. So just educate how to use our dashboard to do the stock updates. But in terms of the buyer, we still need to educate and make very friendly features for the owners. Because sometimes if the owners in meat manufacturers, of course, they already have a team for administration, but in small manufacturers, because the owner still handle all by himself, I think need an education for that. You're talking about digital literacy, and I want to get back to that shortly. But first of all, I wanted to peel the onion back a little more. I wanted to find out what comprises our CAC, CAC, which is customer acquisition costs in this business. Okay, for the customer acquisition costs, most of the costs, of course, in sales team salary and second sales team commission because we use performance base in salary structure. And the third one is more sales discount. There's three components, but the sales discount, it's for the first acquisitions. But what the buyers see after they onboard in our platform is the stock. Because if you have a great price, but your stock availability is bad, they will churn. That's for sure. Very interesting. It's always fascinating 
to find out what are the buyer's most important criteria, whether they're choosing to stay on Shopier, Tokopedia, or in our case, Proglix, and they can be very different and they can change with time. When I was at Shopee, we gave free shipping. That seemed to be so important, but with time, it was the variety of product you could find on Shopee. It was the reliability of delivery. It was the level of price competition. Could I find the best price product? So it's quite fascinating how the criteria of the buyer evolve with time. Now, I want to hit another big part of the business. Who does the logistics in our business model, which is basically, I assume, shipping industrial volumes of product from seller to buyer, et cetera. Yeah, there is two scenarios of logistic. First, if the area is in Jabodetabek, actually our principal or the big suppliers have the services to do the free delivery. But if outside Jabodetabek, mostly we use third parties, conventional logistic third parties. Understood. Now, when, as I mentioned, I wanted to circle back to something you yourself referenced minutes earlier. What is the level of digital literacy among sellers and amongst buyers in this business? And what types of education do we need to undertake for both parties? I think in supplier side, the digital iteration is most likely already good because they use SAP and everything because big manufacturers. In mid-manufacturers, it's not a problem at all because the administrations know how to use shopping online. And in the small manufacturers, to do the shopping online is not a problem, but the problem is more in documentations. For example, there is a several types of manufacturers that need, let's say, one documentation must be hard copy and need to be signed, not online. Yet. That's the problem that we need to figure out. How can we solve this non-digitalized document and do the transitions that they can accept the digital document. That's the problem that we have right now and need to be figured out as fast as we can. Fascinating. So the whole promise of digitizing everything, it sounds great, but in implementation, it's very gradual and requires a lot of patience, it sounds like. Win, thanks so much for the overview of Indonesia's B2B opportunity. It sounds massive, and I think we're gonna see a lot of long-term secular growth. I'm also confident that a number of entrepreneurs really appreciated insights that you shared about ProGlitz's participation in the YC program and some of the other anecdotes that you shared. Thanks again for joining. Thank you to Ellen. Thank you. You're very welcome. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indotechno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi. Thank you.